Chris Kelly, the founding member of one of the founding members of Galactic Empire, also in your original act of illustrium. Uh, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you being here. Um, it's the last time I think we met. Obviously, your studio looked a little bit different. You you've done a tremendous upgrade, dude. It looks great. How have you been, man? <laughs> yeah, I think the last time we saw each other was in my parents' basement. So I was definitely in like like under twenty one at that point. So yeah, it's been it's been a minute. For people who don't know, there was a bunch of um, local scenes in Pennsylvania, Bucks County, and uh, Chris and I met through a couple of gigs like Battle of the Bands. I mean, I was in a pop punk band. You were in a you know death metal, deathcore band, um, right. and we would do some competitions and such like that. But I mean, obviously, the talent was there. <laughs> you were blowing people away, and you had the suburb the suburban folks like really banging their heads and moshing. It was a cool time. I love those days. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I don't know how many, I mean, back then, especially because we were kids and we were, we were constantly being placed at family friendly events where our music was not super welcome, but I can't tell if people were enjoying it ironically or enjoying it genuinely, but either way, it was usually a good time, you know, as long as as people are clapping when you're 17, you don't really know the difference. Yeah. And Jerry and Mike, I haven't talked to them in a minute. I hope they're doing well. I know like, uh, you, you know, we talked previously before this, you guys are still working on some new uh, material for Illustrium. How's that going? Yeah, yeah. Illustrium's actually got a whole, uh, a whole second album. Well, not second, a third album. A whole, a whole new album and almost a whole new EP done as well. Like two separate. Oh, okay. There's, there's different. We had the album done, and there's some plans surrounding that. I can't really talk about it too much. Yeah, yet, sure. But there's some plans surrounding that that are that are requiring that it uh, be pushed back for release. So. Um, we wanted to, this was before this whole pandemic hit, so it probably doesn't matter as much, but we wanted to put something together in the meantime to try to, because we've been pretty dormant for a while just with, uh, you know, me touring and Mike Mike was touring with me for a little bit. Um, so we, you know, we wanted to put something out um, to kind of get some traffic back on the, on the socials and sort of remind people that we're not dead. Mm-hmm. Um so that should be out at some point this year. Um, we should be closing in on finishing that up uh, in, I mean, hopefully the next few weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just got to figure out the rollout plan for that. But yeah, so there will be there will be a, an EP and then an album after that at some point, probably next year. Mm-hmm. And then uh, before uh, you guys started doing that, uh, working with the new album, I mean, Galactic Empire obviously was one of the biggest things that you involved yourself with. Uh, which is funny because uh, I was working at a museum in Philadelphia at the time, uh, just reading the Philadelphia Inquirer, and I know that you were still doing Illustrium in general. That was always like your 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 uh, baby and the music mm-hmm. you guys always wrote with. Uh, then I'm you know reading the paper and there was an article about this metal parody like um, Star Wars cover band. I'm like, what? This is fucking cool. So I start reading, it, I start reading it, and then they go into details of who was in the band. And I'm like, Chris Kelly is like. No fucking way. Like, the Chris Kelly, I fucking know from Doylestown? Get the fuck out of here. So I, like, went on Facebook and I was like, oh, shit, that's my fucking guy. <laughs> and, like, I was so stoked for you. I was like, man, I was like, that kid had more passion than some of the fucking other producers I've met. I know they're still not doing much at all, but I was, like, so stoked for you. And I started, like, listening to the gig and shit. Um, that's, that's awesome, man. I like seeing that uh, for those projects, like, that come to fruition. And I'm sure you had some kind of um, – I'm sure you kind of had an idea like when it started to become a little bit more serious when you were writing the music or composing the music for it. You were like, let's 
take this to the next level? Like, what was the trigger that you pulled to do it? It was actually the complete opposite. Mm. Um, so it, it was a joke that we just pushed as far as we could, and it got more traction than we expected. I mean, we, we put the first two songs together which was the main theme in the imperial march just as like demos which was mostly grant the drummer i mean he um he has a, like a a rain man level of perfect pitch like he's <laughs> he ridiculously good at like like he he figured out all of the parts of the orchestra just by listening like just by listening bar by bar and picking out each individual note from each section and like just putting it on midi and then just redoing it on guitars for the demo that's incredible um, so yeah all of the all of the galactic empire songs uh are are one-to-one with the orchestra it's uh, there's no there's no creative liberties taken aside from the you know the guitar sounds and the fact that there's drums that's the only thing that's actually written everything else is is straight from john williams um and uh he put those two demos together and uh, I can't remember if that was before or after he told me about the idea, but I had interned with Grant and Carson at their studio, uh, which was Atrium Audio at that point. Um, In Lancaster, and, Pennsylvania, I believe, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah, August Burns, right, I think, went there for a little bit as well, if I'm they, not mistaken. They still do. Yeah. yeah. yeah they've, they've produced every ABR record since Rescue and Restore, I think, was the first one they did. Mm -hmm. But, like, Carson's known the, the ABR guys for years and done stuff with them, like, uh, um, I think he makes like a couple of their Christmas albums before that and stuff. So mm -hmm. um, they've been they've been tight for a while. So uh, when I was in college for uh, for audio, I uh, got myself an internship there and just kept in contact with them after that and stayed stayed friendly. I produced the um, the second Illustrium record at Atrium myself. So like we had had a a, a good relationship going for a while and. Um, Grant hit me up with the idea to do this Star Wars thing. and But the idea was literally because a few years before that, he did a drum video where he was just playing along to the orchestra for one of the songs. Mm -hmm. And um, and he the idea was literally to just expand on that and to, uh, you know, make a, a second video, basically, like another playthrough or something with more people. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't exactly remember how it went, but... It was, well, you know, the new movie's coming out. This was before Episode 7 came out, like, before they rebooted the whole franchise. Mm -hmm. So, it was, well, the new movie's coming out, so we should probably drop it the day that comes out. Um, Pretty smart. Mm -hmm. And, then, uh, you know, we definitely got to do a video. Uh, you know, let's do a playthrough video. It'd be funny if we were in costume. <laughs> well, if we're, well, if we're in costume, you know, Carson knows like Carson's friends with these guys that run this whole uh, like soundstage and film company. And they have this big ass green screen that they're down to let us use. And um, it just turned into this whole thing. And then, and then by the time we were there filming, it was the biggest production I'd been a part of in, in my entire life. I mean, it was, it wasn't just that they were letting us use the green screen. Like the entire film crew was there. I was going to say um, that. Yeah. The production looked incredible. Like it, it wasn't anything yeah, standard. Yeah, no, it was, it was legit dude. And, the, and, um, like I had never been a part of anything. I had shot music videos before, but I'm like, we're talking, you know, local band music videos where there's one guy with a camera mm -hmm. shooting multiple angles throughout the day or whatever. This was like a 40 man team, um, 
with you know the what's the what's the, the jib you know that basically that crane that yeah that lifts up the camera it, yeah uh, for the, it to be still motion the sound stage the sound stage is like uh it's like a fucking warehouse it's I, I don't even know how many square feet but it's huge it's called aurora films for anybody who wants to look it up it's they're an amazing place and uh the green screen's like 50 feet wide or some shit like that it's crazy mm-hmm. and um carson and grant found uh a whole bunch of uh a whole bunch of stuff like they found people online or like one guy in particular who built like 3d environments and so they got they got the background for that carson built all of the practical effects for that video himself <laughs> um yeah so like it was That's like crazy. Crazy, crazy levels of like like diy and 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 i guess not so diy in certain cases um but uh just a crazy amount of work went into that and we put out the video and we thought like, you know, maybe we could get, cause Grant's idea for his drum video is like, I think I could get a million hits on this. Ugh. If the timing is right. Exactly. And he got, he got like 400 K 500 K, um, by the end of it. But so, so the goal with this was basically the same thing, which, which was like, I think, you know, we could probably get a million hits on this at some point, you know, everyone's kind of like, like stoked on the star Wars thing yeah. and you know, we'll see what happens. And the first million hits came in in like under eight hours or something like that. And, um, and we started getting like news coverage and, uh, you know, all the major, uh, like press outlets, like for like music and otherwise, you know, we're, we're talking about this thing and, uh, it was crazy. I mean, we were all just kind of standing there like at work on our phones because we put it out at like 3 p.m like mm-hmm. which was basically while everyone in the world was standing in line waiting to go see the new movie you basically know? yeah and fucking so, smart so yeah. everyone's on their phones everyone's on facebook and so and, and anything star wars is trending so it just popped up on everybody's screen i guess and yeah. uh and it went it went crazy it snowballed and so we're just like watching the views just rack up just refresh 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 and every time we hit refresh there's another 100k or something like that like something crazy you know and, um, and, but even after that, we were just kind of like, well, that was real sick. Like, right. <laughs> I, I guess that's it, you know, like, um, it's a one hit wonder then, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But then we got an email from a producer at E like the television station mm-hmm. and they were like, Hey, um, we are covering the Oscars and we want you to come play on the red carpet. Uh, during the Oscars coverage, that was the article and, I read. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we were like, "You don't understand. Like, we don't, <laughs> we don't know how to play this stuff. We don't have costumes because right. we couldn't. We didn't make money from the music video because we used Disney's uh, imagery, you know, their IP. So um, we couldn't, we couldn't wear those on TV and get paid for it. We'd get sued, or mm-hmm. he would get, you know, somebody would get sued. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were like, we don't have costumes." we pieced this music together. We didn't actually play it in the video. We're wearing gloves, you know, like we're all just faking it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we don't, we haven't learned how to play this stuff yet. And they were like, okay, well, you know, you can either say no or you can figure out and we can fly you out to LA for a few days and pay you. And we're like, okay, fine. So we figured that out. We all learned how to play the stuff. And, um, and we got these like Carson's mom made these like Palpatine robes for us. <laughs> and, um, Fuck yeah. and we played, we played in our first show ever was on national TV in broad daylight with palm trees behind us and a star Wars fashion show. It was the weirdest fucking thing on earth. But, um, while we were out there, we met our, our booking agent, Dave Shapiro. And, um, 
uh, after that, it was just like, yeah, let's let's do let's make this a touring thing. And and within you know, it took about a year, almost a year after that to like get everything. I think that was in March of twenty. 2016 2016 yeah i think you did a u.s tour in 2017 or something right yeah yeah yeah. so march march 2016 and then and then by december of 2016 we had done our first show and then in february of 2017 we were doing our first tour and our first tour was in the uk in a bus so like for anybody who's not familiar with how music goes like when you start touring you don't get in a bus no you get in a van van, and you starve and you load your right, own equipment exactly. yeah, no, and we you were, tune we were, your own instruments. Right. Yeah. We were, well, we still had to do that. We didn't have any guitar techs or anything, but we, oh, okay, uh, cool. we were, we were paid and, uh, you know, enough to cover expenses and then some, and, uh, and we were in a, a tour bus for two weeks straight, uh, for that first tour and it was a headliner. Um, so, and after that, it was just more of that, you know? Mm-hmm. So we just, and because we didn't, uh, because we didn't plan any of it, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants for most of it. Um, and then it ended, well, it hasn't ended. My my time with the band ended uh, in December of last year. Um, you know, I've, I, I got a, another another gig and, uh, you know, I have a family, so I couldn't, I couldn't stick around with it anymore. I couldn't juggle two things, but mm-hmm. I mean, in that, in that three years that I was in that band, I mean, we'd done uh, like some of the biggest festivals in, in Europe. We'd done multiple headlining tours, played in arenas with Ozzy and Baby Metal and Bullet for My Valentine and, like, and all Max kinds Sabbath. Of like there was just a plethora of like bands that you were working with too, with the touring and shit. Like it just wasn't yeah. stopping. It just kept going. It looked like. <laughs> like yeah, and that was the thing. I mean, we you know we never um, we never did a full on tour with like a big band, um, but uh, we did all kinds of festivals with them. And then I mean, I guess the Baby Metal one was 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 like a tour, but it was only three shows mm-hmm. um, for the whole country was, of Japan, basically. I'm sure you know it was well, not really. I mean, it was it was it was two two shows in in. Like it was, it's technically all Tokyo, but also not, you know, like it's one, there, there was two nights at the same venue in, uh, Makuhari and then, uh, and then one show at, uh, in Saitama. So those are like outside of Tokyo, but Mm -hmm. like anyone who doesn't know anything about Japan, it's just, they just call it Tokyo because Tokyo is so huge. Yeah, it Um, is pretty huge, yeah. So, so I guess that was, that was like a tour, but because we didn't, because it wasn't very long, like we didn't really consider it to be a tour. You're we just a special guest on a couple of shows, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but that was a really cool experience too. I mean, we got we played the first two shows, and then we had a week in between the 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 second show and the third show. So we just got to like, or maybe it was like four days or something. But we got to really explore a lot of cool parts of Tokyo and stuff. And so that was that was definitely a bucket list kind of moment for me but yeah i've always um, wanted to visit japan too it's just I, i'm sure it was a culture shock when you first got there but it's one of the most laid back i mean they're they're um they're uh the way they go about their culture it's like it's they're very polite like you were saying earlier um it's just they, that's who they are as people i had a friend who was in okinawa japan uh on on base for the for the marines um and you know the, even when you said a red light like nobody honks their horn and that red light will circle through and, right or a green and then go to a green light you sit there through the green light and then it'll circle through back to a red light and nobody does anything it's just way right. like it's just a very yeah. peaceful yeah. culture 
yeah, they're very, very passive, very passive in Japan, and very, uh, very level-headed and calm. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> they might be music. You know, <laughs> for all, for all you know, for all you know, they might be screaming on the inside. But there uh, is, from what I understand, it is very rare in Japan for there ever to be any sort of like real outburst. You know, if someone's if someone's really mad, you know, and they don't have to yell at you for you to know. You know? Yeah, exactly. You can just kind of tell by body language. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, but it's a, it's a it's a really cool place. It's one of, I mean, Tokyo is is easily top two, uh, you know, destinations that I've been to in the world mm-hmm. and, uh, for good reason. When you're touring out in Japan, I mean, like, do you still keep in communications with some of the people that were on that tour? Like, was it just Empire, Galactic Empire, G, and uh, Baby Metal, or was there like yeah, other supporting yeah, it acts? Was, well, it was well for the first two shows. It was just us and Baby Metal, and then for the uh, for the third show, it was Galactic Empire, Sabaton, and Baby Metal. And so I'm still like I'm not like on the phone with the Sabaton guys at all. But like if right. they're if they if they come through a city that I'm in or something like on my last mm-hmm. uh, on my last tour in the states, uh, you know, I was in. Uh, I think it was like Portland or something. I had a night off, and they were playing at a club down the street from the hotel. So I, you know, went over to hang out with them for a little bit. Um, so like, still friendly with those guys, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it like, you know, like we're like buds. You yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, and it's it's a cool experience working over there too, just because the Jap, I mean, Japanese crew um, is just on another level. I mean, hmm. in the states, even you know, okay, or let, let's let's do a contrast with with europe so when galactic empire played we played an arena date with ozzy um Fuck and awesome. when we got there uh it was you know just a bigger version of a normal load-in whoever's with galactic empire is in charge of getting galactic empire shit on stage plugged in ready to go any problems are on you right mm-hmm. that's just how it goes mm-hmm. in japan uh before galactic empire flew out there uh, the stage crew had asked for uh, specs and pictures of all of our stuff. And when we landed, our stuff got put on a truck and sent to the venue. And when we got to the venue, all of our stuff was set up and Holy plugged in. Shit. Like, two spec. Like, Grant sat down, didn't have to do anything to his drum kit. Like, it was all perfect. Um, and, yeah, it's just a, it's a whole other level of work ethic over there. And it was really, it was really inspiring, too, because, you know, you, you got to see... In my what is in my opinion kind of the pinnacle of efficiency in stage work, mm-hmm. you know? yeah, especially with those huge stadium um, shows. I mean, you're selling out to crowds over probably hundreds of thousands of people. So I mean, to have the blueprint right there in front of their faces and then to implement it and just get it there before the actual act comes to the gig, like that's incredible. I've never heard of that personally, but I think America, yeah, yeah you guys should really step up your fucking game. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right, but yeah, it's uh, and even even uh, the way that we were treated by the baby metal team, uh, you know, the the producer um, Koba came in to introduce himself. He came in our green room and he said. Um, you know, like, thanks for being here or whatever. And, uh, and they were letting us use their, their video wall. Um, but their stage was set up in a way that, uh, had to be, uh, it had, to, it was like on chains and it had to be lifted up and it covered part of the video wall. Oh shit. And he, and he came in and apologized and was like, Hey, I'm really sorry that, that the video wall is covered up. Like we didn't know it was going to be like that until today. And we're like, why are you apologizing to us? Like, we're the opener. Like, we don't matter, you know. He's like, no, 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 you're the special guest. Like, he he took he took an effort or made an effort to make that distinction. And it just again, I mean, it's just another 
another of many examples of of how different and uh, and how welcoming the uh, the the Japanese culture can be. Um, you know, because I'm used to I'm used to touring in the in the states. You know, and being mm-hmm. in, in, in local bands. And I mean, even something as as successful as Galactic Empire turned out to be, even in Galactic Empire, you know, if we showed up a couple minutes late to a load in at a festival or something, we were getting yelled at. You know, like. Um, Luckily, we usually had a good excuse because we used terrible bus companies most of the time. So, uh, like I think uh, at one time we were we we loaded into Grass Pop and we were like 20 minutes late or something because we were opening the stage that we were on and um and the stage manager was like, "Where the fuck have you been? Like, why are you here?" And I was like, "Dude, our driver has no fucking idea what's going on. I'm so sorry." And he goes. He goes, what bus company do you have? And I said, absolute. And he goes, say no more. It's fine. Get your shit in. Like, he was, you know, like, he, under, he understood immediately. Like, that is, for, if anybody out there gets to a point where you're touring in Europe and you start looking at different bus companies to do use. Do not go to absolute. Do not go to absolute. I mean, well, you might. You might have to based mm-hmm. on your budget. That's no, why I was gonna say, people yeah. use them is because they're very affordable. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, yeah, Absolute Touring. For instance, uh, Absolute Touring was the company that uh, supplied the bus when Dillinger Escape Plan had their bus bus crash in Europe. So Mm-mm. yeah, not a fan of that. So I don't. I'm not. I'm. I don't want to get myself sued. I don't know who was responsible for what. All yeah, I know exactly. Is All I know is their bus. bus. And uh, at one point, it was. This was also at Grass Pop. Our, our stage tech came because the buses are parked behind the main stage. And so our, our, and you kind of go under the stage to get back out to the bus area. And uh, our tech came out, found our bus, put in the door code and walked on and realized that when he was on there, all of a sudden he's surrounded by a completely different group of people. <laughs> and I think, I think it was kill switches bus, if I'm not mistaken. And he, and he, he uh, and he was like, Oh shit, I'm really sorry. I think I'm on the wrong bus. And they're like, Oh, it's fine, dude. Like you're good. And he starts walking out and he stops and he turns to the driver and goes, wait a second, does every absolute touring bus have the same door code? And the guy just went, the, the German, they're all German bus drivers. And the guy just goes, yeah. <laughs> That's you fucking know? safety protocol, fucking 101 yeah, for anybody exactly. out there. Jesus so that, yeah, Christ. So that, was the day that, that was the day that we found out that every single one of their buses had the same code. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I might, I might, might, depending on how many people see this, I might, I might have just gotten somebody robbed. So I hope not. No, I hope Um, not either. We're at 11 viewers. So I think we're doing okay for people who who are in Europe or if not, I think my algorithm is, uh, mostly, uh, United States. So if anybody's going to Europe, please do not use those same passcodes. If you know the passcode. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't remember what the passcode is. Okay, good. We won't announce that then. That's crazy. Dude. Uh, fucking it's cool because when you did the galactic empire, uh, when you guys started, I didn't know, but you had also Clinton. I think he was Red Guard. He's from Lancaster. He tours with Carousel Kings um, yeah. every once in a while. How did you guys pick your members? Like, was it you and Grant, and then you guys kind of just scouted the uh, local area to see if you guys can get together for rehearsal? Like, how'd that go? Yeah, so it was, I love it that was kid. Me, Grant, and Carson from the start. So, you know, me doing guitar, Grant doing drums, Carson doing bass. And, um, and we just needed people for our first video, mm-hmm. and so one of those one of those guys was CJ, who started out as um, the Shadow Trooper. We called him Shadow Ranger, you know, to not get sued, and then uh, eventually took uh, put on the Kylo Ren costume, or as we called him Kyle. Um, and uh, and uh, so he he's been there since since pretty much day one, since the first music video. And then Clinton was actually later on. So Red Guard in the first two music videos, I think, was CJ's friend Josh, Josh Willis. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, and then um, and then Mike was Mike from Illustrium was was Red Guard for for most of the time. Um, the only time that Clinton was around was as Mike's fill-in. So uh, so he filled in um, on the first Europe tour that we did. He mm-hmm. filled in on the U.S. tour that we did with Max Sabbath. And then he filled in in Japan. Um, I think that was that was it. And then, you know, any show... Is any, like, that fill-in explains it. Any show that Mike mm-hmm. wasn't able to do, Clinton was there. And then um, when Mike decided to leave... Uh, Clinton became the guy. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, Clinton is a ridiculous... Both CJ and Clinton oh, are so both guitar yeah. players, and they make me feel inferior every single day. Those dudes do things with guitars that I just can't... I can't understand. His production value is fucking incredible. He just hit a million streams on his uh, sweeping video, which, congratulations, mm-hmm. dude, if he's watching. Um, yeah, I met him at a carousel king show where i knew some of the local bands were playing but i also knew carousel kings because of, you know they're alumni of ci records so we kind of have a relationship with that and right. um i met clinton for a hot second cool fucking dude but like his just passion you know in general with you know video production and editing and like probably using adobe after effects like dude it's, it's fucking incredible it's like this kid cannot stop man like just like with your production yeah. with music like because you're still i don't want to derail the conversation we'll get back to that um but are you so you you still produce and you still um you still, uh, you know, write your writing with uh, Illustrium and such, but do you take classes? Like, I remember seeing something somewhere that you do host classes if people are wanting to learn how to play guitar or learn. Some yeah, production. yeah, I do. I do guitar lessons. I mean, you know, it's not a, it's not um, like, <laughs> it's not a huge source of revenue for me, but I do mm-hmm. offer guitar lessons and production lessons and things like that. Production lessons can get a little bit more difficult just because the, the streaming capabilities without splurging on a whole bunch of specific equipment can be kind of difficult like getting your doll audio to go through properly and stuff like that but we we make it work um Mm -hmm. yeah but yeah i mean i i still do produce bands and um you know i do a lot of it from the road you know i'll track an album here or something and then i'll be mixing it while i'm somewhere in australia or wherever i am you know um Mm -hmm. but uh i just kind of i try to uh, diversify as much as possible and, you know, keep my, keep my hands in as many projects as I, as I reasonably can in terms of how much time I've got, you know. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. No, I wanted to throw that out there. Cause if they want to, if anybody that is watches or sees this video or hears this audio in the near future, um, how do they reach you? Do they reach you through a Facebook page or do they reach you through email? I have an official Facebook page, which is uh, it's guitarist, Chris Kelly. So guitarist colon Chris Kelly. And then uh, Instagram, I have two different Instagram pages. There's one that's technically, uh, and I think the same thing for, I think the same thing for Facebook. I, ha- I have two different Facebook pages and two different Instagram pages, one for guitar and one for production. But the production, okay. the production one is probably going to start being phased out because it doesn't have as much uh, engagement as the, as the guitar one. So I think I'm just going to kind of, you know, merge the two, but, um, okay. Yeah. If anybody's interested, I'll put that in the comment section or not the comment section, the uh, description below, uh, when this goes up on YouTube, the core of the group by the time I left was me, Grant, Carson, CJ and Clinton. Um, and, uh, that was, I mean, the red card position was the only one that was ever really rotated. Um, okay. between a couple of different people um everybody else was 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 a mainstay and the rest of the guys are all still are all still doing the band i mean um they they had a tour 
we, we I mean, we all had tours uh, scheduled before all this shit hit. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of us were supposed to be somewhere else in the world in June, but that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, unfortunately, no. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, they're they're all still they're all still chugging away at it, and uh, and you know, there's another another project that the the lot of us are are starting to starting to work on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean the 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 core the core of the group for the most part was was me grant and carson and then cj and clinton uh you know started to become more um sort of like they 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 became partners as opposed to employees as as things went on Hmm. interesting yeah no it's crazy because like I don't know. I just known the guy for so long, so he's been traveling back and forth. So it kind of makes sense of how you were swapping red guard and such. Um, dude, Max Sabbath must have been a blast wearing with those guys. Look crazy. Like they're nuts on stage. Are they as nuts as they are backstage? I love the guys. They're they're super they're super chill guys. Um, the the tour at the time was the most successful tour that we had done, um, and I think it's just because like like we don't musically we didn't fit with Max Sabbath, but mm-hmm. image wise we did. And I think that's the reason that the tour went so well mm-hmm. is because we, we had this ridiculous flyer made this like cartoon, like movie poster looking thing with all the characters from both bands, um, on it, just doing crazy shit. And I think that wherever that flyer was posted, whether it was in a window or online or anything, I think anytime somebody saw it, they're like, I don't know what the fuck this is, but I got to go. You know? <laughs> and, yeah. and that tour did that tour did really well. Uh, it was, you know, it was a club tour, but I mean, it's, uh, it was, you know, we had some nights where we were packing out. I, th- I think, I think the highest, highest show was probably like 1500 or something like that maybe mm-hmm. maybe two i don't i don't remember but um but we had a lot of a lot of good turnouts and you know some, some better than others i mean if you go to boise or something it's usually gonna suck but i'm <laughs> I mean, sure yeah the middle of nowhere in the like... a markets thing things went really well and and uh generally the response for, for both bands was great and um you know we were able to to kind of turn up the humor aspect of it during mm-hmm. that tour and, you know, put some jokes into the set. There were always jokes in the set, but, but we got to do it a little bit more there just because everyone's, you know, not taking themselves too seriously. Yeah, we all we knew what we were. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're a great group of dudes. And the last time, uh, the last time that I was out in LA, I hung out with, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say their names, so I hung out with the Hamburglar. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just for a while at McDonald's for a little bit. Like I'm sure that was a <laughs> right. treat, dude. Right. I think, yeah, I don't. I don't remember how, uh, like how locked down they keep their names. So I don't want to. Mm-hmm. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. No, I don't blame but, you. I mean, because Slipknot's done it for years. Then you have Guar, who also held their identities. Like, no, I totally. Oh. Agree. It's such a. It's such an interesting. That is interesting to me going through that. Um, that way of playing that character because you're nobody knows who you are you're a complete mystery yeah which is fucking yeah cool. i mean it can definitely uh it, it's a it's a double-edged sword for people like me who grew up wanting to be rock stars because uh, mm-hmm. you get to a point where you're like i guess i'm sort of doing what i wanted to do that's pretty cool but 
no one fucking knows my name. They <laughs> <So laughs> just know my stage name. You can't even tell your friends or family about your stage name. Like, so right. why does Chris leave for like months at a time? Oh, <laughs> he has, a, he works for a construction company. So he just goes and builds cranes yeah. or something out in Texas or some shit. Like, yeah, like just like, like being, the worst excuses that you can fucking put yeah, out there. Being a superhero that does absolutely no good. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I was, I was able to tell people, what I did with Galactic Empire. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I don't know if that's the right word, but I, I would usually end up doing most of the interviews. Um, and so, you know, I, I did a couple, more than a couple, but the, I, I started telling people, like, look, and this was partially for, for me as like the, the the musician, the public image, and also just for me personally, sanity wise, mm-hmm. um, I started eventually telling people like, look, I'm more than happy to do as many interviews as anybody wants me to do, um, but they're gonna be talking to Chris. They're not right. gonna be talking. To Darth, they're not gonna be talking to Vader because I'm not Darth Vader. Like no. you can't you can't ask me like what are your plans for the rebel scum or what? Like, I don't fucking know, dude, I'm not Darth Vader. I don't know how to answer that question. Um, if we did like, sometimes we would do like in costume video interviews, Mm -hmm. but what we'd have to do for that is like, they would ask us the questions. We would just say whatever. And then they would send us the video footage and we would have, and I would have to like overdub and do the Vader voice and whatever. Wow. Yeah. For them to then put the, the thing out. Because mm-hmm. nobody wants to see... Well, first of all, like my, my stage costume is it, a non-infringing costume. So It doesn't look like Vader. There's a little bit of like changes to it due to copyright reasons. But you can definitely right. tell it's it, not a Darth Vader costume, correct? Duck. Yeah. It looks like a duck. So <laughs> I... Uh, so like seeing somebody in a like grocery store off-brand... That's how Carson used to put it. Grocery store off-brand Darth Vader costume. Um... <laughs> And then when they're like, you know, so, like, I don't have a low voice, you know, so it's like, oh, what's your plan for the rebel scum? And it's like, well, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, we're going to take those X-Wings down first, and then Luke will be demolished. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking A. You know, the power of the dark side. So um, (laughs) I eventually just started saying, like, look, you know, if you you want an in-character interview, it has to be either, it has to be written. I have to have time to formulate my responses. If you want to have an in-person interview where you've got me on a mic, like, or a camera or something like that, you're just talking to the dude because I can't, I can't keep up. Like I, I I can do the Vader persona if I have some time to think about it, but I'm not, I'm not that, that good at it to be off the cuff. You know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. Yeah. It's just one of those things that, um, I don't know. You just don't also want to be crossing that line where it becomes a little bit, not as legal as you'd think. Like Disney never reached out to you guys, right? Like that. I'm no, sure they no. probably completely ignored you. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like, I think that's for a couple of reasons. I mean, we're definitely on their radar because, uh, like, we've met you know mutual connections, like people who work at Lucasfilm and and, and things like that, and, and they know uh, they know who the band is. They're, right. They're, for sure. But I think the band keeps itself safe where it needs to. I mean, the music is licensed. It's all parody. Um, the costumes are, are altered to not infringe. The names are altered to not infringe. There's no swearing in the show. There's no. Uh, there's nothing that could potentially damage the brand. You know. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think uh, I think all of those reasons combined are kind of what kept what what keeps it safe. Um, but uh, you know, who knows? I mean, it might get to a point where the guys start 
making some more money and then Disney's like, mine, you know? But we'll see. Yeah, we'll they might it. buy it from you guys or something, you know? And then just take advantage oh, of I it. Oh, I wouldn't think they'd buy it. I think they would just be like, no, you can't do that anymore and now you owe us money. Oh, <laughs> you know? my God. That's the last but, thing you guys need. It's not like you're going to be playing in their park anytime soon, you know what I mean? For... Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. no, but we'll see. I mean, obviously, I wish I wish they would do the best and they're still very good friends of mine. And so, I, you know, I hope... I hope that they never receive any kind of cease and desist or any sort of negative uh, negative documentation like that. I hope they're able to, to to keep it going and do everything that they want to with it. I'm sure they won't because I know, like as a PR as a PR like situation, I think Disney would be, they'd be foolish to do that due to the fact that the band is being basically a G rated metal cover version of it so like that nobody's doing anything wrong i feel like that would just be something that would put disney under a radar like why would they just stop this we thoroughly enjoy this and then people start reaching out like hey this isn't fair blah blah it's not like you guys are selling like there are lightsabers it's not like you're building custom lightsabers at your show like they do in disney it's like you just guys are you know playing yeah i mean as it as it is right now i don't think the band is in any kind of danger uh just depends on uh, you know, I know that especially Grant has a lot of big ideas for how to how to grow it and and expand it. And obviously, for for his sake, I hope uh, I hope all of that stuff is able to come to fruition. But obviously, the mm-hmm. bigger that a project gets, the more scrutiny you end up under. So, um, but that that being said, I mean, I think they've I think it's been happening for long enough, and everyone kind of knows the lines that you shouldn't cross. So as long as they're able to kind of maneuver those things, or you know, get different partnerships or whatever they're able to get, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm sure. So you must have gotten like a, a pretty good opportunity for you to make that like really drastic decision. Um, I mean, you're working on a Lustrium's album uh, or this the the next one that's coming out or EP as you were saying earlier, and then you're working some solo stuff. Like, is that like what's in the works for you now that that you kind of like walked away from that? I'm sure you got to well, be doing something. There's no way you're stopping. You know what I mean? Right. So I I am I am still touring professionally. Um, unfortunately, I'm not able to say the the band that I tour with because that's oh, okay. Part of my part of my contract mm-hmm. um uh but uh i mean i'm sure you could google it i'm sure you could figure it out but i just can't be the one <laughs> i'm not gonna be the one to say it. <laughs> yeah but, exactly uh, but yeah so i do i do still do that uh, uh as close to full time as i can it's not uh it's not luckily you know it's not something that takes up uh you know 200 days a year like a like a lot of guys have to do mm-hmm. um i don't think i'd be able to do that with with trying to you know be with my family and stuff so i'm glad that i was able to find a a gig that was that was conducive to my to my family life mm-hmm. um but that's you know that's been my been my bread and butter for um probably six or eight months now okay. um and since since late last year <clears throat> and then um uh, yeah, and then Illustrium I mentioned before has some some stuff in the works, and then uh, the one good thing about the the world ending is that I have time to, you know, write my write my solo material, which I've been wanting to do for a long time, and didn't really know what sort of direction I wanted to go with it, and you know, but it's given me it's given me the time to sort of. Uh, uh, iron out those those details and, and really get to work on it. So I don't I don't exactly know when that will be done. I would I would like to have it written by the end of the year. Okay. I think that I think that's reasonable, but I don't totally know. But I mean, I will be pushing that pretty hard whenever whenever it's ready to come out. 
So it's not going to be like a Game of Thrones parody cover band at all, like or no. anything like that. <laughs> no. No. You know what I mean? That'd be pretty no, fucking I, sick, though. Should I give you some of those ideas? Like I don't know, man. Like I'd definitely no, join my, that. My face will be in plain view, and it will be my name because I need some. I need some remotely narcissistic outlet, I guess. <laughs> uh, this is my, my music. Name to be attached to something, you know. It's, yeah. It's Darth Vader, and now I'm a nameless. When I say nameless, I don't play for Ghost. I want everyone to know that. That's not my game. God, I um, love that fucking band but, uh, so much. Band. <laughs> people people ask me that a lot when I say that I can't. When I say, oh, I can't now. I can't really talk about it too much. Like, oh, you play for Ghost, don't I you? I can like, understand the I'm, correlation. They don't really say much either. I completely sure. forgot about them. Yeah. yeah but, at the, dude, no way could I fit in what I, I don't, If anybody's seen Ghost play, those guitar players are skinny, dude. Like, those guys... <laughs> Those guys fit in some tight-ass clothes. That does, that wouldn't work for me. If I played for Ghost, you would fucking know. Um, because, because I wouldn't fit in the outfit. It'd be a problem. Yeah. So, like, um, why is this bass player a little bit oval more than the others? This is pretty yeah. strange. Aren't they supposed, aren't they supposed to be dead? They're supposed to be um, yeah. skeletons. That's their gimmick. Like, they're, yeah. they're skeletons. Right. What the fuck? Yeah. Oh, my God. But, yeah, so, so it my main gig went from being in a Darth Vader mask to now being in a, in a costume that holds no uh, significant name. So, yeah, so solo material will definitely be under <laughs> under the name Chris Kelly just mm-hmm. so that I can have some level of, of satisfaction that I put something out and it's just me, you know? Yeah, exactly. Did you get an endorsement from Kiesel? Ke- uh, Ke- uh, excuse me, Kieser? Kieser? Kaiser? Kiesel, Kiesel. Kiesel. I thought it was Kiesel. Yeah. I was like, why did I say Kaiser? My brain like had like a yeah. little fart. Because you guys used to play Jackson's all the time, if I'm not mistaken. Mike is still with Jackson. Mike is still with Jackson. Uh, he, um, and I say still, I have never been with Jackson. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think they're sick, but I, I just never had to deal with them. Um, I My first uh, guitar deal was with PRS, and that was shortly after Galactic Empire dropped. So I was with PRS for... Uh, two years, I think. Mm-hmm. Two years, um, and then I started working with Kiesel. Uh, the year I got my first Kiesel when I was out with Max Sabbath. Um, so when we were out on that tour, I got my first Kiesel from them, which was this uh, this guy that called it the lightsaber. Got the red fretboard and shit. Oh, so this was so gorgeous. Yeah, so that was that was the Vader guitar. That's pretty um, fucking sick. But yeah, so uh, yeah, I've been working with them for a couple. A couple of years, almost three years, at this point, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's been great so far. So um, that's I, awesome. I endorse Kiesel, uh, Fishman, uh, the Fluence pickups. I've been playing them for a while now. Ken is the man, and then uh, Ernie Ball for strings and Dunlop for picks and various accessories. And then you guys can see this Mesa Boogie stuff behind me. Yeah. Um, and there's uh, the fifty-one fifty. <laughs> you still have. I know. I remember you used to have a fifty-one-fifty. No, but the, the Axif X three is the that's the the main hub for for just about everything. Um, I don't really use amps. Where's the top of my? Oh, uh, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, you're good. Uh, I, I don't use I don't use real amps live for just about anything anymore mm-hmm. because it's too much stuff to lug around. So the Axif X is is the main one. So mm-hmm. yeah, so Kiesel, Fishman, Ernie Ball, Dunlop, Mesa Boogie, and Fractal is the list. Do you think I'm going to like designing a, a, a guitar, maybe like something custom for your own sake, like something that you? Well, really Kiesel, want to do? Kiesel's, Kiesel's all custom, so oh, okay. uh, every everything that I that I've had for them was was all built for me. Okay, yeah, they so, looked all custom, but I know like they probably push out signatures every so often that like you 
Well, I guess that's the same thing. Yeah, like my like when I got the endorsement through Truth, like obviously that's all custom as well. I mean, nobody. I just wanted my specs how I wanted them, and it turned out to be a fucking gorgeous kit. It's just one of those things that like people say, "Oh, someone might steal them." Like if somebody steals this fucking drum set, I know it's my <laughs> drum set. Like nobody <laughs> has this fucking drum set, dude. Like yeah, it's. Not, I mean, it, there definitely is something. Um, there is something to be said about being able to to build your own stuff. Um, you know, I have I have had nothing but but good experiences with Tesol and stuff, but um, mm-hmm. I think they're I think they're one of they're they're probably the only company that can do that much of a full custom shop and and keep the quality as consistent as they do. Because uh, I know there are other companies that sort of try to do that and it doesn't work out quite as well, or they can't they don't have the same level of output, so they can't take on the same amount of orders and things like that. And so that's why. You know, most other most of the big companies are just operating on production models because, you know, the specs for this one model of guitar are going to be for every single one of those, and so they can refine it and get everything real, uh, real dialed in and just have the same, you know, consistent uh, quality control. But uh, but Kiesel's been great. Um, all the stuff that they've that they built me has lasted um, and really held up well on tour. I haven't had to, you know. I haven't had any next warp on me. I don't have any frets sprouting or any mm-hmm. weird stuff like that. Um, everything's held up real well, and it's been it's been a good experience so far. But yeah, everything, and they do have some signature artists. Um, Andy James is on there. Uh, Mark from Vale of Maya. Uh, Lee from Born of Osiris has one. Doesn't Mark Holcomb have one as well from Periphery? I no, believe. but Holcomb is uh, is PRS. He is PRS. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, he did. I think he did play. I think he did play their stuff for a while when they when they were still called Carvin. He played Carvin for a while, but no, his his Sig models are PRS. Um, but uh, but no, I think they have they have a few other signature guys on there. But yeah, I mean their their uh, their whole appeal is the fact that it's all custom shops. So you know whether it's an official Sig model or not, it's something that's built to your specs, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And with like, I mean, I know like you basically got on the map with uh, both Galactic Empire and your personal music. You as a producer, guitar player, and everything. Um, do you do you maybe have an idea of like working with other musicians, such as like anybody from Periphery? Because I know like that's a huge community that everybody is a fan of everybody. You know what I mean? So I'm sure really? like you've been maybe in the works of working with somebody out there. Like, uh, well, well, Nolly did a guest solo on the second Illustrium record, and that was right before he officially joined Periphery. So I guess oh, we wow. took something, <laughs> but yeah. um, no. But uh, Mike and I know Misha. You know, Mike is a lot closer with him than I am, but um, you know, Misha's a good dude. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not opposed to the idea of working with anybody. I mean. Um, the what you know whenever i've got my solo material together if there's any room for you know guest solos with people that i know or whatever like i'm absolutely down to have people on tracks or you know if you know if there's a drummer i really like and want to have him track it or something i mean like i I've, I've been collaborating with people my whole life so i'm, I'm absolutely down to do that kind of stuff but that being said there's nothing nothing in the works in that now there's nothing in the works like also yeah. you know again Mish is a good dude. We know each other. That being said, I don't think there's any reason to think that he'd have any time for me being like, hey, dude, you want to like make a record? You know, like, I don't think there's any real, <laughs> there's, I don't think he has anything to gain from that. So no. uh, you know, rightfully, rightfully so, I don't think there would be anything that I could interest him in anyway. 
That's cool. No, that's cool that you built those relationships. Yeah, I just saw them recently. Fuck, what was it? They were on tour with Dance Gavin Dance, and you could definitely tell the fans apart from DGD fans and Periphery fans because like all the Periphery fans were very. The demographic was like male, and then most like mostly male, right. and then mostly musicians. <laughs> like it was a great right. fucking show because I think Hail Stands a great album. I was really stoked when they released that. But yeah, yeah. yeah I haven't seen them in a while. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to put your, I'm going to put your information in the description so people can hit you up for lessons. I know that's like something that you do on the side, but you know, some people are probably interested and just don't have that knowledge of getting to you. But, um, uh, is there anything that, um, anything that Illustrium would be taking part in with tours or anything in the near future, or are you guys just going to strictly release albums? Maybe. Uh, not officially. We, we do have a, a booking agent. Um, his name is Dan DeFonts. Uh, books I, I mean at this point the amount of tech death bands that that guy is booking is is kind of countless he's rivers of niles agent uh beneath the massacres agent he does a whole bunch of stuff um and uh you know so we we do work with him and we do have some soft plans of how to do stuff but you know illustrium's members are also at a point where doing um doing the usual type of grind touring that that a, a band of that style and of that little notoriety would have to do is not always conducive to the lives that we live. So, mm -hmm. um, we have to pick our spots very, very carefully and very strategically. So I don't really, um, never say never, of course, but I don't really see illustrium becoming a thing that's going to be like a, a full-time touring gig mm -hmm. for any of us. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that being said, it's going to be something Unless something terrible happens with the relationships in the band, I, I, I don't see that project ever stopping completely. You know, even if it's just a few shows a year or one tour a year or no shows ever again and we're just releasing music when we have it. You know, it's it's been Mike and I's brainchild for, for over a decade at this point, so I don't really see that stopping. Yeah, I don't doubt that you guys would stop anytime soon. Or like you said, the relationships would take you know fall apart because that's just... You guys have been best friends since like you know back in the early two thousands, so I don't think that's going to change. But I uh, do. I'm. I'm so. I'm, it was. It was fucking nice catching up with you. I haven't seen you in a minute, but um, I appreciate you taking the time. This was. Uh, I'm. Uh, congratulations on everything. I'm really looking forward to the new stuff you're putting out there. I really do. Like, yeah, it's gonna be some cool shit. Yeah, man. I appreciate the the invite. It was. It was cool catching up for sure. Yeah, there's a lot that we'll probably still talk about after the podcast, but um, I appreciate it. So I'm gonna, if anybody's interested in taking Chris's uh, lessons uh, for production or guitar, I'm going to put it in the comments once it's uploaded to YouTube. I'm going to say I have, I have an upload on Monday, and I'll have, I'll have uh, your upload on Friday. So if anybody's interested in taking lessons, this episode will be uploaded on YouTube by Friday. So I appreciate it, man. Cool. It was good talking to you. I will, uh, I'll, I'll catch up with you in the near future. All right. Appreciate Thanks, it. Man. Take care. Bye.